Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and descended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, January 24th, we are studying 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-15. to In today's text, St. Paul encourages the Corinthians toward generous participation in the offering for the sake of supporting the saints. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Chris Hull. Pastor Hull serves at Emmanuel Lutheran Church and Student Center in Macomb, Illinois. Pastor Hull, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Brother Apple, always good to be with you. Always good times. Recently installed there in Macomb, Illinois at the church and student yes. center there. Did yes. They, did they make you a bishop there? Well, you know, they tried, but the hat didn't fit. They said my head was too big for it. So, but it's it's a fun time. I, I've tried the bishop thing many times, but um, I do dig the hats. I like the capes, copes, whatever you call them, little, little uh, what's it called? The um, I fell asleep during high church day at Fort Wayne which oh. usually is every day, but I fell asleep during that day. What's that called? The crook or uh, what are the, the little shepherds? Crozier, there you go, Crozier. Yeah. I remember one time I didn't uh, know what that was, and I sat next to Roger Patelko. Uh, you know, he was the bishop of the English district a while ago, and, and he had one of those. I was like, I like your stick. So uh, I wasn't allowed to go to many, many things at the seminary. They, they gave me my own special room and kept me away. Give him some books. You know, let him tell his jokes in there. He'll laugh to himself. So, now, now, Pastor Hull, the the student center is a campus ministry there in Macomb, right? Right, correct. Tell us a little bit about that. So, the type of call I have is called a town and gown. What it is is you have a manual Lutheran church, which is in town congregation, uh, averaging between fifty to sixty-five a Sunday, and then you have the student center, which is right next to Western Illinois University, and there. Members from the church can go to worship as well on Sunday mornings, but it's primarily for the students there. Um, so, of course, you go back a few decades, and you would know uh, who's L- Lutheran, who's Missouri Synod, and be able to reach out to them. Nowadays, you don't have that um, luxury, that gift. So it's um, praying that you can get some students to come to it, and right now they have about 9 or 10, which is really good, and um, hoping to get some more of them uh, to start coming and worshiping with us. And we do worship on Sundays with them and then uh, a study on Wednesday nights. And then uh, as we go into the new year, just getting some activities going and and uh, bringing the gospel to the people there. It's fun times. Fantastic. Fantastic. Oh, God yeah. be praised. But, and uh, let, we'll keep the, the, the saints in Macomb and the, the mission of the student center there in our prayers that God would open a yeah. door, as St. Paul says in his epistles. So we're in 2 oh, Corinthians yeah. this morning, Pastor Hall, chapter yes. 8. What should we know about this epistle, the context leading up to, to chapter 8? Well, it's interesting. Like, you read, um, oh, who's the prophet, St. Louis? Is it Cy- not Seifrig? What's his name? Mark, I think it's He's Seifert. a New Testament. Dr. Seifert. Seifert, there you go. He did the 2 Corinthians commentary, and it's a great commentary. I mean, because we don't have one for the Concordia commentaries. You have 1 Corinthians. Lockwood did that one, Right. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Yep. 
Lockwood did that one. And then you have this one. So I read that one, and it's a beautiful commentary, and he makes the points of, um, you know, this isn't, you have these other letters that St. Paul mentions in 2 Corinthians, like, oh, you know, I've wrote to you before, and we think it's 1 Corinthians, and that's an aspect of it, but he's also still communicating with them. He wrote to them in 1 Corinthians, but they're, they're still not getting their act together. They're hearing the truth and not getting with it. So you have the sadness in Paul, and you see him seeking reconciliation where that, you know, really hits a climax in chapter 5. And what does it mean to have this life together? So it's a beautiful second letter, and I know it's better than how I would write it because, you know, when when you keep preaching something and people just aren't getting with it, you eventually, you know, uh, get frustrated. Whereas with Paul, it's not as much frustration but a, a sorrow, a fatherly disappointment and sorrow. And what he does now, as we're going to get into in chapter 8, is Y'all are very blessed, and we, we bless each other with what God has given us. Yeah, and I, I think that does fit into the theme of the reconciliation that you see come out during this letter. It, it may seem a little strange. You know, Paul's been saying, hey, we have this ministry of reconciliation, and here's the reason why you know, our ministry among you has been valid, as opposed to these super apostles. And he's, he's talked very recently about the godly sorrow that has has led them to repentance, and now there's this great rejoicing. And then here comes chapter 8, and like, oh, by the way, don't forget to give your offering, which maybe maybe it's just our context that that seems out of place. The, the way that I, I see it fitting is that here's the opportunity for the Corinthians to continue to participate in this ministry of the church at large. Much like in the end of 1 Corinthians, the offering mm-hmm. that he talks about there, which I think is is the same thing we're talking about here again in 2 Corinthians, that's an opportunity for them to participate in the work of the saints. So it fits here in 2 Corinthians that the issues they've had in Corinth, the struggles they've had, the disagreements that they've had with Paul, uh, they have not been so great that they've been separated from this work of the Church. And the reconciliation that's been taking place means that, no, you are still a part of this life of the Church, and you are able to continue to support the fellow saints. So it's not just, hey, give us your money, but it's rather participate, continue to participate in this life of the Church that we share together. Well, it's it's like your favorite movie, High School Musical. You know, we're Never all in it, this Pastor together. Um, yeah, I know you have. I know you have. You're a big Zac Efron fan. But... But this, the, the reality, we don't. I think why it's so foreign to us is we don't get it in the Missouri Synod. I mean, we have our circuits, we have our districts, but we're, we're such a divided church body. I'm not talking about, oh, liturgically. It, it's just y'all care about you, you care about you, and we, we have a, a sense of walking together. But, I mean, it's not like, okay, we know this church in uh, the district is down on its 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 uh, luck or whatever. It's going through hard times. Let's take up collections for them. You know, um, how can we... That, that's why I think this chapter is so foreign to us, because with Paul, it's like, well, I'm taking a collection for the saints in Jerusalem. I'm taking a collection for the saints here. Y'all are more well-off financially. They pray for you. It's like the proverb, you know, he who lends to the poor gives to the Lord these things. And for us... We're very isolated in what our tithing is. You have your congregation, you have your budget, and then you have maybe what you want to give to for missions. You know, uh, you give to a Lutheran heritage, or you give to a certain uh, missionary, or you give to a seminary, and you give to a seminary. You pick Fort Wayne or St. Louis. Um, you give to the district or whatever. It, it's very wooden, very isolated with us instead of 
a communal thing that, yes, every congregation in the Missouri Synod should be in this together. Hmm. You know, and I, I don't know that it's always so foreign to our congregations. I can I can think of, of plenty of examples where you do see the partnership of congregations working together. Just just one in when I served in Smithville, our congregation was involved with other congregations in in helping to start a Lutheran high school, Faith Lutheran High School in uh, Central Texas. Pastor Dustin Beck, who's a regular guest on the on the program, he he teaches there. In fact. And, and that was an opportunity for our congregations to join together and to share in that right. partnership. And, and I recall in our involvement with that, there were some area congregations that didn't want to be involved in the congregation, or in, excuse me, in the high school, in the sense that they didn't want to have delegates to a delegate meeting, and were not really going to be interested in being a part of the governing process of the school. But they still asked us for the the privilege of supporting the school financially. And I think that kind of attitude is is what is behind this chapter. And I don't know if if sometimes it's foreign to us because we're Missouri Synod Lutherans, but maybe it's just because we're we're Americans and we don't—the way we think about our money and our possessions maybe isn't the same as as what Paul has in mind here. And it's maybe not because we're Lutherans, but maybe it's more because we're Americans, or maybe it's just because we're sinners. Well, I'm very patriotic, unlike you, Brother Apple, so I'm not going to—no, it's it's a reality. You're right. You have this American identity. You have a, a selfishness, and it, it's more of—when you read something like an Acts, it says they sold everything and had everything in common with each other. Everyone's like, this is a crazy idea, a crazy notion. Well, not really. It, it's, it's not, but it's extremely foreign to us. So um, when we hear stewardship— when we hear things like giving, it's not, well, the pastor just needs more money or we need to fix a furnace. It's all of this is for the good of the kingdom, even if you never see it while here below. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. And this is times. an excellent chapter that gives us that theological mm-hmm. background for why why we do give and the, the importance of it and where, where it comes from. There's a lot of, of wonderful material in here that does go beyond you know, stewardship in the sense of put some money in the offering plate, right? but stewardship rather, how do I respond to what God has given me to love my neighbor, to support the work of, of the church? Right, right. Yeah. And, and that's the beautiful part about this. So, and I mean, as we go into the text, you know, Luther has some good stuff to say about it, um, especially in his hymnody and in his, uh, in the, especially the um, seventh commandment in a large catechism. So very good fun times. Let's take a look at this text. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, 
who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. That is our text for today, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 15. Pastor Holt, Paul begins here by letting the Corinthians know or reminding the Corinthians about what God has done in his grace in the churches of Macedonia. He describes their situation, their response to this offering. What does he have to say there in those first couple of verses? I mean, he's making the point, you know, that he, he brought the gospel to Macedonia up to that um, European area, and they wanted to give, they wanted to help. It's like, and they gave even beyond what they could, beyond what they needed. They, they desired, they received this gift. They received this blessing from the Lord. They received this new life in Christ. So now they want to participate on this earthly pilgrimage in the fullness of that life. What does it mean that you have this new life in Christ is everything is redefined. We mentioned earlier, you know, you mentioned the Americanness or the selfishness of being a sinner when it comes to our material goods. Having a new life in Christ means we see all of these material goods differently, not just how we spend our money, but what things I have. What do I have? What uh, appliances do I have in my house? Do I need all these things? What type of car do I drive? All of these things, it's not keeping up with the Joneses. It's not driven by covetousness. I want it because my neighbor has it. I desire to have things in life so that I can serve and love my God and neighbor better. Oh, Everything yeah. I have is bent toward that. So the Macedonians, they want, to, they want to give because their life has been redefined now. It's not defined by how much do I have. It's defined by how much has been given to me, and therefore how much can I give. Absolutely. And and it does, I mean, it, it transforms the way that they look at what they have to bring about that generosity. And I think what you're saying about the, the way that the gospel then transforms the way we, we look at the things God has given helps to explain uh, what Paul says there in, in verse 2, this bit of a, um, I, I've always kind of looked at it as a, a math equation. I'm a, I'm a bit of a math guy, Pastor Hull. And and so he, he, he writes there in verse 2 that the severe test of affliction— plus the abundance of joy, plus the extreme poverty, that equaled overflowing in a wealth of generosity. And at at least two of those things maybe seem out of place, the severe test of affliction and the extreme poverty. Those two things in the eyes of the world I don't think would be what would add up to extreme generosity, but but they do here. And it goes back to what you're saying about the, the gospel transforming our lives. Well, and that's how they, and that's the thing is when you say something like the gospel transforms your life, it can be kind of abstract. But what does that mean? How does it do it? Well, when you are forgiven your sins and made one with Christ, the cross is not far behind it. It's laid upon you to crucify the flesh, to take away. Well, it's like John 15, you know, um, those that are bearing fruit, he prunes, he cleanses that they may bear more fruit. Being pruned is not a fun process. But 
it is the process that gives us to bear more fruit. To suffer those burdens in life so that we love this world less and less, love the things of this fallen world, at least the corruption of the things in this world, less and less. And we, we desire the things of the Lord more and more. And it, this isn't a decision we make. It's something that happens to us. Like with the Macedonians, it's something that's laid upon you. God does this work on you. And we rejoice in it. I mean, that, that's the reversal. What does Jesus say to do when you're persecuted? Rejoice. Or like Luke, leap with joy when this happens to you. Um, that's extremely, it, it, it's like you're speaking a different language to the world. And we are. Our language is different than the language of the world. So what creates generosity? It's not you have more money in your bank account. It's you actually suffer more than others do. You've gone through more. You've had, it's like um, if you grew up poor, you know, you know what it feels like to be poor, to want to be without, and you don't want someone else to suffer that and go through it. So you give. That's, that's what Christians do. We know what it feels like to be without so we want those that God has put in our lives not to suffer that. Mm, yeah. Okay, so the, the extreme, or excuse me, the severe test of affliction, there's the cross being laid upon these churches, and God works his, his fruit, he, pro, he produces his fruit in the Macedonian Christians through that cross, through their great joy, through their extreme poverty, and this brings about this wealth of generosity. It is, it is striking to see the joy in the midst of those, those other two, the affliction, the poverty. Again, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. How, how can I be joyful if I've got the cross and I've got poverty? How, how can I be joyful, Pastor Hull, if I've got the cross and poverty? Right. There's a movie that came out a while ago called The Pursuit of Happiness, have you seen this movie? I have no. seen that one. I don't know why. I have oh, seen you have one. seen it with Will it's Smith? Been a while, yeah, but well, I have there seen you go. It. Will Smith. So you have seen it. Yeah, Will Smith and uh, his, son, his son's in it too. No? Yes? No, can't remember. He has a son. Um, I don't know if it's his actual son who plays the son, but anyways. I, I, I can't remember. But you know, it makes this point of the movie is he has happiness finally when he has this job where he can make, you know, a good. And then, of course, the end of credits, like, oh, now this man is a, you know, stockbroker, makes all this money, and, and life is great. Whereas before that, you know, he's living in like subway bathrooms and stuff and, and suffering. And it, it attaches happiness to money. It attaches happiness to doing well in this life. And then, of course, Lutherans go, well, there's a difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is, you know, a roller coaster that goes up and down, whereas joy is even when you're in a bad mood, you're still, you know, joyful in the Lord. And, and I don't know. I, I kind of think that's really silly. You know, because being happy is a good thing while here below. Like, I'm happy with my wife. I'm happy with my children. I'm happy with my church. I'm, the, even when things are going bad, you still have a delight, a smile, a, 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 you sing. I mean, that's what Paul and what's his name? Silas. Silas. Silas did in prison. They're singing. I mean, is, excuse me for being happy that I get to live forever with Jesus. Excuse me for being happy that I'm forgiven all my sins. Excuse me for being happy that I like singing Luther, Gerhard, and Nikolai, and Franzman, and, and uh, Starkey, and all this stuff. Excuse me for being happy that my life is terrible sometimes, you know? 
Uh, but, but out of that comes a great joyful happiness that I have been freed from all this. How can I give? Because that stuff doesn't define me anymore. All that money, all those material goods, that's not my definition anymore. What defines me, or better yet, who defines me, is my Lord Jesus Christ. And he has said, this life is pruning you that you may live with me forever. You're going to be in the presence of the Lord forever. So the joy we have, even in the midst of this burdensome stuff, it's like seeing someone who lifts weights and they're smiling during it. It's like, why are you smiling? This is this is hard. You're, you're breaking your body down. But like, yeah, but I like it. I love it. And um, for those OCD people, I was going to say, I want some more of it from Tim McGraw. But so there you go. Um, but the reality is we love, I love reading the Bible. I love singing this stuff. I love praying. I love being in church. I, I love talking about, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. So the Macedonians have this craziness, this happiness, this joy of, hey, we're redefined. We're not defined by Rome and what they're doing to us. We're defined by Christ and what he has done for us. So, yeah. Mm, yeah, the, the difference between happiness and joy, I think, can be helpful in the sense that our we don't want our feelings to dictate our confidence that we have in Christ. If I, if I think of my level of happiness as the the meter by which my, my faith is to be measured or something like that. I think that's that's where the distinction between happiness and joy can be can be very helpful to, to realize that my mm-hmm. my Christian joy is not dependent upon uh, the way that I feel at any particular moment, but it is a, a gift of God that comes through his promises. At the same time, we it's probably okay for us to smile occasionally as Christians. <laughs> <laughs> well and it's it's you're right. Your 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 salvation is not dictated by your feelings. But and this is the weird for me, the Fort Wayne guy to say, but you have feelings. You you do have them. And the reality is when you're you're sad or you're anxious, depressed, is it okay? Well, no, it's not okay. Jesus died for it. You're forgiven of it. I mean, nothing's okay. If so if one thing was okay, then Jesus wouldn't have died for us. He died because everything outside of faith is sin. Everything um outside of him is sin. So he dies for us. And I think where where the issue comes is it's like, well, I, I said, why do we cry at funerals? And I cry at funerals. I, I did a, a funeral for a beloved saint. Her name's Lisa Stapp. This was back in 2022. And I cried like a baby for the first 10 minutes of my sermon, literally, and I'm not exaggerating, just sat there blubbering. And it's a why? Because I miss her. But the thing is, she's with the Lord, and I'm going to the same place. I wouldn't cry if she went to the dentist before me. I wouldn't cry if she went to the gas station before me or or went somewhere a day ahead of me because I know I'm going to see her tomorrow. And, and that's the thing is we mourn with those who mourn, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. So it is good to have a distinction. Your salvation is not dictated by how you feel. And how you feel, though, should be dictated by the voice of Christ, what he says. Sure. And it's yeah. and it's usually not because we get too wrapped up in the world. Uh, well, this person was mean to me. Well, Jesus loves you. That person's a jerk. It's okay. They'll probably go to hell. Um, yeah, it's probably too mean to say, right? Uh, Apple's like, man, I can't have this guy on anymore. But no, it's like, you know, this person was really, really mean to me, and they're attacking the church. It's like, yeah, what does the Bible say about those who do that? So don't act like, you know, you're the first one to be hated for the name of the Lord. Uh, there's people that are going to hate you. But guess what? Jesus loves you. 
Um, there's people that aren't going to like you. But guess what? Jesus loves you, and, and he likes you. Um, he wants to spend time with you. So it's a joy. It's a, a delight, a happiness that there's this guy that has no reason to love me, and yet does. So yeah. it's fun yeah. times. So the, the, the Macedonians have that joy, that confidence in Christ that cuts through all their, their feelings, and it combines, again, with the cross, with poverty, and it overflows in a wealth of generosity. Paul describes what that generosity was like in verse 3. He said, they gave according to their means and even beyond their means. This was of their own accord. They were not forced to do it, but actually they asked, they begged for the favor of, of doing this. Uh, talk about the, the attitude that Paul describes in the Macedonian generosity. Well, it's like, you know, you could see Paul going, no, 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 y'all need this, you need this. And like, no, take my money, take this, take our, please, we want to help. Um, it's just beautiful. It's like when you tell someone, oh, you shouldn't have, and like, well, maybe I shouldn't have, but I want to. And, and, and that's Paul to the Macedonians, is this um, ridiculous generosity now that's unexplainable in the world. Um, the generosity of time, the generosity of your talents, the generosity of your treasures, um, that they beg him. And I love this begging. It's like, you know, please, please take this from us so that we can help. We can be part. You brought this to us just in the same way you brought this to all these other people. And we want to be, we want to be a part of it. And that's the thing with church. Church isn't a part of our life. It's like, okay, it's like if I'm labeling who I am, you know, it's, uh, it, it, the church is an aspect of my life instead of, no, this is what defines my life, what I receive in this place, what I hear on Sunday mornings, the scriptures I read, the prayers I pray, the hymns I sing. I was walking down the street, one of my shut-ins, well, she's not a shut-in, she just had surgery, but I went to give her communion, and she lives about eight houses down from me, and I'm walking back home singing Rise Ye Children of Salvation, um, which sadly isn't in LSB. You know, it's in TLH. I don't think it's in LW, and it's not in LSB. But you know, we're, we're we know we know better than they did back then. But you know, you've heard you've heard that hymn, "Rise Ye Children yes. of Salvation." Yeah. You know, great, great, great hymn. What's his name? Uh, Faulkner. What? Justus. That I, like that, that I couldn't tell you off the top yeah, of my th head. I think it was Justus Faulkner, maybe. I think that was him. Um, you know, I'm sure Doctor Rass is listening to everything I have to say right now, going, "Oh yes, thank you, Chris." Um, no, but. I'm singing it as I'm walking, and I'm passing by people, and I stop singing, hey, how? and they're like, what's wrong with that guy? Everything's wrong with me, because I, I'm, I'm different than you are. I mean, that, that's who Christians are. We're different people. We have different joys, and that's the thing with the Macedonians. Usually, you're begging someone to give you money, but they're begging for you to take their money. <laughs> so it's completely turned upside down. Yeah, that's right, and that's that's the generosity that comes from knowing who Christ is, as, as we will get to on the other side of the break, that the Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, he became poor for our sakes. That gospel is what inspires this kind of generosity among his people whose lives he has claimed as his own. We're going to keep looking at this text more on the other side. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Chris Holt this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that an investment with Lutheran Church Extension Fund exclusively supports LCMS ministries and church workers? That's right. 
LCEF ensures LCMS churches, schools, and organizations have access to the financial resources they need to sustain, strengthen, and start ministry work. In other words, you can feel good investing with LCEF because we share your Lutheran values and love for the church. Learn more at lcef.org. LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, January 24th. We're studying 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-15 to with Pastor Chris Hull. He serves at Emmanuel Lutheran Church and Student Center in Macomb, Illinois. Pastor Hull, prior to the break, we were talking about the attitude that the Macedonians have in their giving to this offering for the saints in Jerusalem. Uh, Paul in verse 5 says that this was even beyond, it sounds like, what he expected and his fellow workers. Uh, and he, I think this is an important verse in verse 5 when it describes their giving. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So this is more than just the Macedonians wanting to say pay the, the church bills, uh, but this is a matter of they've they've been they've given themselves to God. They know who Christ is, they know that he has claimed them as his own, and they want to live in that reality, and their giving flows from that. Right, and this is where the decision theology is correct, right? You give yourself to the Lord. See, it says it right here in the text. Um, You know, I don't know why we're uh, going against this, you know, making a decision for Christ stuff so much, but no, it's... it's, um, What's funny, like, because I mean, I'm, I, you know, was in Texas, and but I think it goes all over the country. This, this understanding of you have to give, you do this, you make a commitment to Christ, and it's like, well, well, no, He is the one that has chosen you, and now because you are in Him, you have been newly created by faith. Now you desire everything to be the Lord's, everything that is of you to be the Lord's. So. You can have the conversation with that decision theologian and say, yeah, I agree with you, but the question is, when does this happen? Is this a conversion? Is this how you're justified? Or is this now because you are justified, because you are forgiven, you now do this for the Lord? You don't continue living for the self. The The old self has been crucified, like Paul says. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. So we give ourselves to the Lord, body, soul, strength, mind, everything to the Lord, and because the Lord... Uh, delights in love of his creation, we also give of everything to our neighbor. And it's not just the monetary, it's we give our patience, we give our forgiveness, we give our love, we give... I mean, the only thing we don't give, and this is something I've talked to people about, is trust. I think we've, we've, we've placed trust way too high into what we should give people. And trust is for the Lord. You give your neighbor your love. You give your neighbor their, your forgiveness. Trust, we trust in God alone. I think a lot of hurt feelings or broken relationships are over you place too much of your trust in creation rather than the creator. So the only thing we give to God that we don't then give to others is trust. And it's not to be a pessim- pessimist about it. It's you... You trust in he who is incorruptible, uh, not we who fail. So 
Mm. Fun times there. Now, as, as Paul continues, then he brings up the role that Titus is playing. We've talked a little bit about Titus already in this epistle. He's, he's come to Paul. Here it, it almost sounds like, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure, maybe you, you know, it sounds like Titus might be in charge of, of collecting this gift in some way, shape, or form among some of the churches, where, whether or not that's among the, the Corinthians or not. I know in 1 Corinthians 16, he talked about someone that would have a letter of recommendation, sounded like more from the Corinthians themselves, but perhaps Titus is, is the mm-hmm. one that's involved in collecting it here. And then he, he, he encourages the Corinthians on in verse 7 that as you excel in everything, and he lists all the, the gifts that God has given, he urges them to excel in, in this act of giving as well. Talk about the encouragement now that he, he turns to give the Corinthians here. Well, it's like you're, you're abounding in this. You're growing in your knowledge of, of the Word. You're growing in your, your faith, in how you speak to each other. And, and this is the thing, this word for knowledge, and maybe I'm mistaken in making this distinction, but if I recall, there's two words for to know. There's it's oido, isn't it? And then gnosko are it's two been words a while for me for that distinction, Pastor to Hall. To know, but but that's why I'm wondering about the distinction here. Like oido is more like you, you know something, like you know two plus two equals four, or or something like that. And I was homeschooled, and I still know that. Um, but. <laughs> Like, why did he make fun of homeschoolers? That wasn't nice. Well, I was one, so you're allowed to. You know, it's like fat guys making fun of other fat guys. It, or we should probably not make fun of each other. We should no, probably build each we, other up. We well, probably we should. should. Yes, that's that's good. Let's excel yes. in building so, each so other yes. up. Building each other up. That's better. So, <laughs> but talking um, about knowledge, Pastor Hall. Yeah, but to, but to know, exactly, this is Pastor Crystal, to know this oido is like a head knowledge. And, and we have that, but then gnosko is more than just a, a, a head knowledge. It's actually experiencing someone. It, it, it's living. Like, say you know that person. Well, you may know the biography of them, but do you really know them? Have you lived with them? Have you suffered with them? So we know Christ, oido, but we also know Christ, that gnosko. We, we, we suffer with him. And this understanding of the Corinthians is now you know Christ. So it's not just, hey, you know he was Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews who died on the cross and rose for you, but you know it's for you. You, you experience that. So I've come to translate that gnosko as experience. You've grown in your experience with Christ, that you've actually lived with Christ. You've suffered. You've, you've been hurt. You have hurt. You've been sinned against. You have sinned. You have been forgiven, you forgive, you do these things, and you've grown in that, that experience with Christ. So that's what he's saying to the Corinthians is, you're not fresh Christians either. This isn't new for you. You've grown in this. This is how you talk now. So in all of these things, as you continue growing in Christ, you also grow in this, in being gracious with the gifts you've been given. Hmm. You know, I think when it comes to the the word of of knowledge, I, I think back to 1 Corinthians and how Paul told them, you know, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. So it's not like knowledge was somehow bad for the Corinthians. There's a number of places where Paul says, I want you to know these things. He's even used that same way of speaking here in this letter as well. So knowledge isn't bad, but knowledge is, is found within the context, the, the fullness of the Christian faith, that comes first from being known by Christ and his love, and then worked out in love 
for Christ and for the neighbor. And so, you know, putting right. all those things together here in, mm. in verse seven of our text, I, I, you see a picture of the Corinthian church, as you said, that is a mature church. And and again, going back to First Corinthians, Paul Paul hints at that a number of times that they, and they kind of know this to their pride, and he he's got to bring them down a little mm-hmm. bit. But they they realize that God has given them grace in a number of ways that they are, despite all their problems, they they have a lot of gifts as a congregation. And Paul now here highlights that in a very positive way and says, look, here's here's another gift for you to put to use in love for your neighbor, just like you would use the, the faith, the speech, the knowledge, the love you've got for us, our love for you. Right? Put this put this generosity, these material gifts, put that right. in service to the neighbor in love as well. Right. And that's the thing, because when you have like, oh, well, well you've been around longer, that can create pride, or it can create benevolence. And what Paul's driving them to is that because you've been around, look at the Macedonians, fresh, and they want to give. It's the same for you and even more so, because you have gone through more, and therefore you give more. Mm. So yeah. you, you mentioned you mentioned there that, that we've got really two sort of motivations here for the Corinthians to give. One is, is in, very much in verse 7, here's the gifts that God has given you, put them to use in service of the Church, just as you've done with all your other gifts— the other motivation that's kind of standing behind this whole first paragraph is the fact that the Macedonian churches are giving, and he's using them as an example to encourage the Corinthians toward that same giving. Uh, talk a little bit about that, because I, I don't think Paul intends this to become like, you know how it, in, in schools they have these penny wars, where it's a competition, yep. and who can get the most money in their, in their jar? I, I don't think that's what he's after here. But there is a, a, a mutual encouragement that can that can occur from congregation to congregation when when we see the generosity of one that can spur us on to more generosity ourselves. So so talk about maybe how that shouldn't work and how it does work here. I mean, it, it's not that we do it just to compete with our neighbor, but you do have like uh, Paul says, oh, where is it? Maybe Philippians, where he says, outdo one another in your good works. You know, outdo each other. Um, we don't outdo each other with, well, my house is bigger than your house, or my car is newer than your car. Like, we bought, because I have a ton of children, we bought a Nissan Envy, you know, uh, this past summer. And uh, then our organist bought a Nissan Envy, but it's three years older, so I'm like, ha I'm better than you. No, it, it, it's the reality, but that's how we see it, is, oh, I have a nicer car, or I, I have a better job, or I, you know, I live in a nicer neighborhood. How do Christians live? Well, I'm outdoing everyone in good works, not from some place of pride, but a place of Christ is the one working in me and through me. So Paul sets it up. This is how we live. We're outdoing each other in humility of good works. And he he puts up the Macedonians as, they're doing this, you do it too. This is just how we live. This is what we do. Um, I think that's what's so different. Um you know, I think that's why you have like stewardship sermons occasionally, because it's like, well, we got to bring this up. Well, no, it, this should just be part of our, our our makeup. This is part of our biology now in Christ, that we've been rewired according to grace and mercy. So yeah, I see my neighbor doing a good work. Well, I want to do a better work. Why? Because I can be better than him? No, I'm still the smallest or the least in the kingdom of heaven, but I want to do it because I just want to. <laughs> it's kind of like a parent when you tell your kid to do something, they say, why? And you go, 
because I told you so. I, I guess that's, I'm hitting a stage in my life. I'm not 40 yet, but I will be soon. Where if someone says, why are you doing that? Because I want to. That's uh, who Christ is for me. I don't have to explain myself to you. Well, why do you want to give to this book? Because I want to. Why do you want to love this person? Because I want to. Why do you want to spend three hours with this person? Because I want to. Um, it's who, who I am in Christ now. Okay. Um, so you compete with your neighbor in a joyful competition. Uh, mm-hmm. A competition where Christ is already the victor. So he's the one carrying you over the finish line anyways. Mm-hmm. So now, Pastor Hall, as, as our tech continues then into verses 8 and 9, we, we come to perhaps one of the best-known verses of this entire chapter. In verse 9, mm-hmm. Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Here we have a, a mm-hmm. very much of a gospel foundation of this whole chapter. Take us into what he says there in verse 9. Well, this is—we've been talking about this. This is the, the happy switch, you know, the joyful exchange, the blessed exchange, um, where Christ, who is the richest, the bright jewel of the Father's crown, as Luther says in his hymn, comes down and becomes the poorest, submitting himself under the law for us, and he, he becomes the lowest of the law on the cross, where the law it doesn't find the, the perfect Son of God. The law finds uh, Adam, the lazy preacher, and Eve, the bad listener. He, he, the law finds Rahab, the prostitute. The law finds David, the adulterer. The law finds Cain, the murderer, and Peter, the denier, Judas, the betrayer, Thomas, the doubter, Saul, the persecutor. Uh, the law finds you and me in our sins and everything that comes with it. And that's who Christ is on the cross. And he doesn't cry out, no, it's not me. He cries out, yes, you know, I, I am the one. So Christ emptied himself that fattened himself up with our sins so that as he is sacrificed, we may now feast on him and be rich, rich in forgiveness, rich in eternal life, the wealthiest of the wealthiest, according to the grace of God. That's who we are now by grace alone. And this, this happy switch is all of your poverty is Jesus's and all of his wealth is yours. And that's who you are now. And it, it's happened. And we get reminded of it every time we're in the divine service. We, we are forgiven our sins. We're renewed in this. Uh, we, we are renewed in it every time we meditate on God's Word, every time we pray the Lord's Prayer and sing our hymns, every time we study the Scriptures, every time we, we do shows like this and people listen in and meditate on it. We're renewed in it. And you can give all you want, but if it's not from this place, it, it's back to I'm doing it from a selfish position. Because you can tithe a lot of money to church, and people do it all the time. If you watch mafia movies, they're always giving to the church. But why are they giving to the church? Because they think my money will cancel out me kidding, uh, killing like five guys and burying them in the you know New Jersey swamp or whatever. Um, but that's not why we give. We give because Christ has already given everything. Literally, you have everything. So all this other stuff is just... You open the hands. It's like giving away someone else's uh, stuff, you know? It's not yours, so you're like, okay, yeah, sure. But it's like if you do a garage sale for your own stuff, you're going to put these huge price tags on it because it has sentimental value to you. Whereas, like, well, no, none of this my none of this has definition unless Christ gives it. And he's defined me and defined my loved ones. Therefore, all the other stuff is just there to help other people. Mm. Yeah, yeah. What a what a wonderful passage that we see yet again 
this happy exchange, this great exchange between Christ and me, the sinner, uh, that, that then results not only in, in the righteousness of Christ that I have, but then in a new life that he gives to me in which I, I'm no longer enslaved by, by my things or anything that would enslave me, uh, but rather set free to, to, serve, to serve him in love and to serve my neighbor in love in this generosity. So this, this Paul continues to encourage the Corinthians to do this generosity. He says, you, you started this about a year ago. It's time to, time to go ahead and finish this. Uh, just mm. so that, And he talks about this matter of, of readiness, and then the gift being acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. So again, this isn't a—it's not a law-motivated giving, do this or else, look at the bottom line, but rather right. see what you have been blessed with by God— and from that, knowing the riches that you have in Christ, give, give freely. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, um, there's always like the stereotypes. Uh, you know you're a Lutheran if you have a casserole dish with your name written on the bottom of it, something like that. And I'm always like, that's not what it means to be Lutheran. But then I'm like, wait a minute. Can you imagine if you went to a church where they did have dinner every night together? I mean, that would be so weird. That'd be almost like, oh, you're a cult or something. But what, you know, like we had dinner last night before our Advent service, you know, had a, um, some uh, case, uh, some uh, soups and, and bratwurst and stuff like that. And everyone was just joyful talking to each other. And we don't, I, I, can you imagine a church that would do that every single day? I mean, like, hey, what are you doing for dinner tonight? I'm having dinner with my family. Oh, you're, no, my church family. I'm, yeah. I'm having dinner with them. And, and that would define how you live. So when you look at the, the Corinthians, don't give out of what you don't have. Give out of what you do have. So we're not asking you to just live the worst life ever. We're asking just you give as you've been given to. And you look at the church today, why do we have a problem doing that? Well, not, let me back up. Not that we have a problem doing that. It's just... Is church where we want to give all that? Like when you look at where you put your money in groceries, um, living, transportation, entertainment, all these things, it shouldn't be, and then you check the box off for church. It should just be, this is my life. And how do we get to that? Well, it comes to what Christ has done for you. He's done for all these other people. So these are the people I live with and spend time with. Yeah. Now talk about the as he moves into verses 13 and following, he says, I don't mean that others should be eased and you burn. So it's not a matter of like, hey, it's it's your turn to be poor or something like that. Mm -hmm. What Talk about this, sort of this back and forth, the way that, that there's this mutual encouragement and support within the, the Christian church and giving. Well, yeah. Well, you look at it, and it's like you, you have people that have more. So you're not saying, I want you to now be poor and they be rich. This isn't some like socialist agenda Paul has. You know, the haves and have-nots, the oppressed and the oppressor. He's not talking that way. It's just, you've been given this, therefore you help out with these people, so they're not destitute either. Um, there's no reason for their—and that happens in—not uh, in every congregation, but it can happen. You know, well, who gives the most? You know, well, well that person—I heard one time, and this—I this, I just got so—I admit I got angry. Uh, a church member had left the congregation, and I was told, oh, don't worry, they didn't tithe much anyways. And I was like, like maybe you should follow them then. You know, we get upset because there's a break there. It's not a money issue. So when you look at the congregation, is every single person is the same. 
you may be able to give a bigger check, but that person maybe is praying a lot more than you. <laughs> or, or doing, I mean, it, we can't downplay that, that you take someone that prays, you know, uh, what is it when you, when you don't give to the poor? What does it say in the Proverbs? They lift up their voice to God because they have no one else to cry to. And he hears and answers them. So when you look at, like Luther's hymn um, 581 with the seventh commandment, you know, open wide a generous hand and help the poor in the land. So you're helping them. You're not making them rich and you poor. You're just bringing it all to a level plane because yeah. God has given us all these gifts. Yeah, I do. I love the, as you're bringing out Luther's Ten Commandments hymn there from LSB 581, and then just the, the way that he writes in the small catechism. I don't know it. Sometime in the last 10 or so years, while I was teaching the Seventh Commandment, it really dawned on me that the opposite of theft is not just keeping my hands off of other people's stuff, but it's actually generosity. And that's right, just a marvelous right. thing to see how, how that's the good thing. One of the good things that God wants you to have in the Seventh yeah. Commandment, not only your own possessions, but a spirit of generosity toward other people. That's, that's what God's giving you there in the Seventh Commandment. Well, yeah. Well, it's like uh, there's this big thing in the South in some areas. You'd always have rice cooking. You'd always have food. If someone shows up to your house, you can give them food. You always have something. You always have a bed they can sleep in. Look at Lot uh, being hospitable and generous to those who visit. And what's it say in the New Testament? Entertain those who need because you may be entertaining the angels. And, and the reality is, like you said, the op. it's not that it's... With us as Christians, it's not like we have something taken away. Okay, you don't want to steal anymore. Now you're this blank piece of paper. No, it's replaced with something. The The desire to take is given over with the desire to give, and that's who we are now. We don't desire to take from our neighbor. We desire to give to our neighbor, and, and that's that's because that's who Christ is for us. He gave. The only thing Christ took was the bad, and he gave everything that is good. So now we take everything that is bad from our neighbor, meaning the sin, and grant them forgiveness, and also give as God has given to us, be it uh, financially, be it time. Um, I mean, just being with people, being with someone in the hospital, being with a shut-in. Um, it's different living alone. Uh, you know, Christmas coming up on Monday. Um or I don't know when. We're, yeah, we're pre-recording. As, we're, as we're recording, Christmas is coming yeah. up. <laughs> like you ruined the oh, man. Fine. You, I tell you, I broke the fourth wall. But I think I don't know. the The thing is, you you have this, but imagine Christmas Day. You have your family. It's a joyful thing. You're eating all the foods. Um, but what about that person that's living alone, that's by themselves? And they'll say, Oh yeah, I don't mind it. But yeah, it is different. So why not spend a little time with them on Christmas? You know, do something like that. Um, that's the generosity that God has given us. Your time is his now. Your life is in his hands. Therefore, you live in love for your neighbor. Hmm. Now, Pastor Hall, as our text ends in verse 15, Paul quotes from the Old Testament. He says, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. That looks like it's from the account of the, the giving of manna in the Old manna. Testament. How does that apply to what manna. we're talking about? Well, remember, when, when people would take too much, it would breed worms and die. And why did God give the manna? Well, he also gave it to test them, whether they will follow me or not. And, and that's the thing is we're given all these things in life, and God gives you the patience. He gives you the time, gives you the talents, gives you the treasures, and he desires them to use them how he wants them to be used. 
He doesn't give you the money to use your way in a fallen, corrupt way. He gives you the money to use in a holy way. Um, and everything is submissive to the will of the Lord. But this is the other main thing. The Israelites didn't create the manna themselves. God gave it. So whoever takes, well, you're taking what God gives. He's the one that gives all of it. So whoever needed little had it. Whoever had much had it. God gives what we need. And that comes back to that fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer, that he gives you your daily bread. He's not going to let you starve. He's not going to let you go hungry. He's not going to abandon you. He will be with you. And he's not going to leave you. So he gives just as he gave the manna, so he gives now. And we listen to how he desires it to be used. Got about a minute and a half here left on the morning, Pastor Hall. Help us to wrap things up on this section from 2 Corinthians 8. Well, really, verse 9 is where it's all at, that Christ has taken this all from you, taken all of your transgressions against the Ten Commandments. He's taken all of your anxiety, all of your doubt, all of your depression, everything from you. All that burdens you, he has taken unto himself and claimed as his own, and on the cross died in your stead for that so that you may have all that is his. He took your poverty, took your depravity, took your emptiness, and in its place has given you riches and wealth and abundance. And that abundance now seeps out. It overflows in love for your neighbor. But it all comes back to what Christ does for you. So every day is the joyful exchange. Every day is the happy switch. That Christ has done this for you. So be at peace, everyone listening and have good courage. You are Christ's, and he is yours. You are rich in him. Amen. Pastor Chris Hull is pastor at Emmanuel Lutheran Church and Student Center in Macomb, Illinois. He's been helping us today to study 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 15. Pastor Hull, thanks for being our guest today. Brother Apple, always fun times with you. The cross given by the Lord, the abundance of joy, the extreme poverty in the Macedonian churches overflowed in a wealth of generosity. That's what happens when Christ claims us as his own. Our lives become his. All of our lives are transformed by that grace by which he has made us rich. Live in that grace. Show that same generosity that the Lord has given to you. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about 2 Corinthians 8, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.